I am glad to be here uh, this morning. Uh, my wife and I and some others moved to Boston about a year and a half ago to begin uh, the work of a new place to share the gospel uh, with those around us in East Boston. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. We've worshiped here actually like four or five times as a team, and it's just great to be back again. Uh, this week, I asked Josh some questions. I'm like, all right, what do I need to know? And one of the questions you got to ask as a pastor is like, what should I wear? And he's like, wear what you would wear to the bar. And I was like, got it. All right. But then he's super, he's fancy today. And I was like, yo, what's up? I was, I was a little confused by his fancy shoes. Anyway, um, I digress. Um, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, came to Christ in my early 20s and came to Christ at, at a church in, in, in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, where I came to know the Lord and served in youth ministry there. That was my first place that I got called to be a pastor. And so I served in their youth ministry program, working with kids in our area. And, and growing up in that neighborhood in a low-income area, I knew that it was very easy uh, to believe that your life was determined to end up like the lives of everyone that was around you that you saw. And so when I became a youth pastor at the church uh, in the neighborhood where I came to Christ, I wanted to speak God's truth into that perspective, okay? And I was young and exuberant, and, and so in my second year working, uh, working there, I, I crafted a series that we would go through for the year on the book of Joshua, and we were going to go through the book of Joshua for the year, and we had a theme verse of the year, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and, and in the midst of it, I wanted to like throw down a gauntlet, okay? And so I threw down this gauntlet to say, at the end of this year, going through Joshua, hearing about being conquerors, we are going to hike the highest mountain in the United States that we can do without ropes. And they're like, and this is like street kids who've like never left Brooklyn, okay? And so we decided that we were gonna hike Pikes Peak Mountain in Colorado, which is a 14,110-foot mountain, and we would have to fundraise completely in order for us to be able to do that. We were, they were going to have to do this prep work to qualify, and, uh, but at the end, this is what we were going to do. And so 10 students and myself and my wife ended up going, and we were hyped, okay? Now, I had the, let's just say, uh, in my early 20s, I had the best of intentions, to do some practice hikes with them beforehand, before we left. But for some reason, we just never got around to it, okay? And we got there, and, and we did one practice hike to get acquainted with the altitude, considering where we lived in Brooklyn, we were at a 40-foot sea level, and we were now at 5,000 feet sea level before we started uh, even hiking. And the hike up Pikes Peak Mountain uh, for advanced hikers is supposed to take somewhere between six and nine hours. And then after that, it starts to get a little bit dangerous because of the weather. It took us um, 13 hours. I got altitude sickness in the second mile of the 14-mile hike. And, um, yep, and there was, uh, there was one student, though, uh, this woman, um, uh, this, this, this uh, woman, Amanda, um, and she talked a big game 
before we left, right? She was like, this is me. I'm doing this. This mountain's got nothing on me. And uh, signed up. She was the first to sign up. She, she did all of her fundraising, knew what it entailed. But in the end, it was like struggle bus, okay? Uh, she just couldn't be able to do it. I remember my wife and I literally just standing behind her, pushing her step by step as she was just like, I can't do this. There's no way I can get up this mountain. Amanda had signed up for the trip, right? She knew what it entailed, but in the end, she just believed that she couldn't do it. In life, we we can sign up for the call, know what it entails, but when we're in the midst of it and we sense maybe even the scope of it, we can doubt and retreat. We're going to continue in this series that you guys have been in here as we look at Moses and Aaron and the the callings, really, that they both received. And so, although we read it uh, already, I'd like to read it again from Exodus chapter 4, 29 through 5.1. It says this, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. We can have the desire to do something, sign up to do it, but when push comes to shove, we can doubt. I know that you guys have been walking through uh, all of these chapters at the beginning of this year. And as Josh said, as a seasoned pastor, okay, I know my congregation always remembers everything we talked about over the last two months. Okay? So I know that's true, but let's just say for the sake of it, let's remind ourselves of some of what we have been talking about, okay? First and foremost, right, Moses. You don't have to know a lot about scripture. Maybe you've never even read the Bible before, but you've heard the name, right? Moses is a big deal. He is considered one of the most important prophets and people of the Old Testament. Through his mother protecting him as an infant by sending him down the Nile in order for him not to be killed at birth, he was then found by the Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Egyptian royalty. Later in his life, he he killed a man who was beating on a Hebrew. He fled Egypt because of this incident, right? He's in Midian. He encounters the angel of the Lord in a burning bush who tells him that he must return to Egypt to free his people from the oppression of the Egyptians, He must go and and speak to Pharaoh and tell him to let the Israelites go so that they may go with him and worship. Just think about that for a second, okay? Think about that. God is giving Moses a calling to lead one of the most integral moments in the history of God's people, okay? If the people don't leave Egypt they won't fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. 
God had called his people out in Genesis chapter 12, called out Abraham, said, I will begin a people through you. I will give you, you will be the father of many nations as the stars are in the sky. I will give you that many descendants. I will give you a land. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. This is the promise. And they've been waiting and waiting for years and years and years. And Moses is the one who is going to take the people out of Egypt to bring them to fulfill and be in the land that God had promised. It's a big deal. And although God is giving Moses this call, Moses, I think, just has some practical questions for God. One, if I was in that position, I would probably ask in the same, the same ways. Like, and the fundamental question is, like, okay, I hear that, God, but what if they don't believe me? God then, what does he do? It says in earlier in chapter 3 and 4, right? God shows him his power through turning his staff into a snake, turning his hand leprous, and then saying, if they don't even believe in that, then then take the water from the Nile, and I'm going to turn it into blood. This is the call put on Moses' life. Now, what's Moses' reaction? We hear his reaction in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. Um, um, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and and tongue. You know, Moses isn't questioning his belief in the Lord. He isn't even questioning his service towards him. He's looking at his own abilities and questioning if he's the right person. See, it's, it's as if he's saying, God, I, I, I know that you're powerful. I, I know that you're the Lord of the universe, but, but I'm not sure if I'm the right guy. You sure you got the right guy? Have you seen me talk to people? Now, what's God's reaction? God doesn't scold him in this. But instead, he answers the question that Moses had. In four, uh, chapter 4, 11 and 12, it says, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. See, what God's trying to communicate to Moses is that he's the one who will work through him. It isn't about his skill. It isn't about his gifting. But instead, it's about his faithfulness to the call. See, God will provide the rest. And what Moses simply needs to do is trust. Now, again, after God says this, what's Moses' reaction? Well, his reaction to this is, Lord, please send someone else. See, he doesn't even, he doesn't refute God's words. But in his, instead, in his weakness and his human doubting, asks for it to be somebody else. He's basically saying to God, like, I can't do it. Have you ever been in a circumstance where someone tells you they can't do something 
when you know full well that they can. All right, I, I, think, I think of parents or, or even maybe older siblings can relate to this. Any got older siblings in the house here? Do we got some? I'm not talking to any of you. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm the youngest, so, you know, you probably already knew that just by knowing me. Okay, um, but I think parents and, like, older siblings can relate to this. Like, anyone, you know, when we have younger siblings, right, we, we can kind of see them saying, I can't do something, when you know full well that they actually can. Uh, and, and Brooklyn, when I was a kid, uh, my house was about five avenues uh, away from uh, the, the train station. All right, and, um, and, and five avenues. Uh, so an avenue is like two city blocks. 20 city blocks is a mile. This is called a grid system, Boston. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. <clears throat> I digress, okay, urban planning, what up? Um, and so like five avenues was like a half a mile walk. And when I was a kid, my grandma lived in, in the West Village, and so we would go on Friday or Saturday night to like hang out with my grandparents, and we'd get home super late on those nights and, and then walk from that train station. And I just remember like being super overtired, get off the train and in my eyes. When I look at that walk, I'd be like, this is like a marathon in front of me right now before I could get to actually my bed. And I would look at my dad and sit down on the sidewalk and be like, dad, I can't walk anymore. I can't take another step. And he would just look at me and say, yes, you can. You can definitely get off the sidewalk, and we're going to walk home. Now, in that moment, I felt like this was cruel and unusual punishment at this time, right? But it's funny, as I look back at this now, I can completely relate to my father. Can't, you know? Most of us have probably had someone say something similar to us whether a child, a younger sibling, a friend, or coworker, someone who utters the words, I just can't do it. When we fully well know that they are capable. And not only they can or that they're capable, but they should. We think to ourselves, if we're just to simply solve the situation for them, they would lose out on an important learning experience or something that would be an important aspect of building them up in their life. So our, our response, and quite honestly, I, I think a justified response, is you can do it. And I'm going to wait until you do. But what is God's response to Moses? Moses tells, essentially tells God, I can't do it. And God then responds and asks well, is, that, is, is Moses, is, is he willing to at least partner in this mission with his brother Aaron, who does have the ability to speak? Would he go if he was to do this with Aaron? And the answer is, well, we can read, yes. Moses and Aaron in our text today then meet with the elders of the Israelites, perform the, the signs before the people, and it says, because of these things they believed. You know, a thought here to, to pick up on that, that I thought was interesting. It, it, I think it's worth noticing how little space the Bible devotes to meeting with the elders, especially when this is compared with the amount of time Moses spent worrying about the meeting beforehand. That the prophet's fears turned out to be unfounded, as fears always are when they come 
from a failure to trust God's word. In spite of all his misgivings, Moses had no trouble persuading the Israelites to believe the good news of their deliverance. When Moses was weak and scared to step into the call God was giving him, God gave Moses a partner. God gives us community to come alongside us in our weakness. Okay, our mission as the church is clear, okay? And and our mission is twofold. It's in two things, the greatest commandments and the great commission. We are to to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then the great commission tells us that we are to then go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, and, and and he will be with us through all of that, right? That's what we have been given. This is our mission. We are called to share our faith with those that God puts around us. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called to live a life that is up, in, and out, okay? And what I mean by those three words is up, we are to live our life up towards God in our vertical relationship with him. As he, as we get to know our creator more and more each and every single day, we are to live our life in in an in relationship with the fellowship of the church as they build us up, keep us accountable in our life, and, and, and strengthen us in the faith that we have been taught. And lastly, we are to live our lives out, going into the world, into the place God has already put us on mission. I mean, God may sometimes call you across the globe, but let me tell you, he always calls you across the street. A simple thing that we have done at at Grace Hill to understand who God has put into our life and and a tangible thing that we can um, hold and and see each day is uh, a mission map or if we want to get fancy Christianese, our oikos map, okay? Oikos means house, and it's like the people that God's put you around, right? And what we do is we simply just put our name in the middle, and we surround it with the names of the people that God has put into our life that are far from God, that we can share our life and our faith with. And these are people where we work, these are people where we live, and these are people where we meet through what we like to do for fun, like as the alliance of, of geeks and men, right? right? This is the mission field that God has given each one of, of us. And uh, in my house, I, I put mine on, on one of the doors in my apartment where I have like an office desk and I do some computer work with. And so each and every day I walk into that room, I have to see that mission map. And every time I leave that room, I have to see that mission map. And it reminds me of all of the people that God has put in my life while I live in East Boston to share my hope that I have in Christ with them. Uh, Here at Reality, I I don't know many of you. Um, I don't know what your journey has, has looked like in evangelism and mission. But I can share um, from my life what evangelism has looked like. And what I can say is this. Evangelism and being on mission in all of those places is hard. Ever since God got a hold of me, uh, I have tried to share the good news with those around me at and, and, and as I have done this, I've noticed a few things. The first thing that I have noticed is when we live our life in mission and in evangelism is, is that people, people are messy, okay? Exhibit A, all right? 
it's far easier for, for, to keep a cordial, cordial relationship with those around you, to become good acquaintances with, with somebody, or maybe, you know what, go after drinks after work without really getting into who that person really is. Building real life with people means that you are brought into the messiness of their lives. It's not easy to move into the mess, move towards the funk of each other. So the first thing I've noticed in the midst of doing this is is that it's messy. The second thing I have noticed is it just takes time. Walking with a person and moving the relationship from, from not just talking about interests, right, or arguing about why the Red Sox don't sign anybody, into what a person values, and then ultimately into how they see the world, what their worldview is, and what, what they think life is actually all about. It, that's not something that happens overnight. It takes time. It takes time to be in somebody's life in that kind of a real way. It's not a short-term mission trip for a week. It's finding margin in our everyday lives to intentionally care for those around us. And so I've noticed that it's messy. I've noticed that it, it, it takes time. And the last thing I've noticed, and maybe it's already kind of been thought of, but I think it, it needs its own category, is it's exhausting. It's especially exhausting when we are sharing our life with somebody and sharing about Jesus in our life and what he's done in our life to people who are not Christians, which especially when we live here in Boston, that's not too hard to find people who are not Christian, okay? When we're the only Christian in that person's life, then we're the only person that they may come to when life hits the proverbial fan. I've been in that situation where I'm, I'm the only one that person is that's speaking into their life in that way. And so it just takes up all my time, all my energy, and all of my emotional stamina. And when we weigh these things in our lives, when it comes to living our life on, on mission up in and out, what has happened to me and what I've seen happen to many other people is, is we think fulfilling that part of our mission when it comes to living out is just, it's just too hard. Actually, we may even utter the thing, it's impossible. We don't think we can do it. Here's the thing, though. We're not, we're not meant to do mission alone. When we want to imitate Christ in his incarnational mission, as he shared life with people, we are called to do that in community. God has placed you in this church here at Reality. I also kind of love it when you said, welcome to reality. I was like, huh, that was interesting, all right? I was like, now I'm in reality. Slick. All right. Uh, but God's placed you in church here in reality or, or at Grace Hill, and he's given you people to walk alongside you in your mission, as Aaron did with Moses. Aaron came alongside Moses to live life, to share in mission together, and ultimately both rely on God for his strength and his power. See, there are moments when I'm, I'm just beaten down by life. I'm discouraged in my efforts. And that's why God has not only given me himself, but he's given me a community to come alongside each other when we're in our weakest of times. 
So not only does the church meet us in our weakness and pick us up when we need it, but here's another thing about the church. The church is meant to complement each other too. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 8 tells us there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. My wife, Mary, her name's Mary, Christian and Mary. People are like, is that on purpose? I was like, I, maybe, I don't know. That's up to God. But anyway, um, my, my wife would have loved to be here this morning. She got a fever on Friday night and is, is sick at home. She, she's such a good, man, she loves, she got up at 6 o'clock this morning to see if she could like stay up and make it through. And I was like, wow. Anyway, um, she's a better person than I am. Okay, uh, I am like an extrovert to the max, okay? Um, if you think about that, like think about the dog who's jumping up and down on the couch in front of the window for their, 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 their owner to come back so that they can play. Like, that's, that's me, okay? Um, Mary, not that, okay? Um, she loves new experiences and, and trying new things and building relationships, but, but she does not need as much time with other people as, as I do, um, my wife grew up, her dad's a pastor, so she's a pastor's kid. She grew up, and, and she, she can't think of a time that she didn't know Jesus. She can't think of a night that she went to bed where her mom and dad didn't read her a Bible story. I did not know Jesus. I'm the only Christian in my family, and I know what it's like to live life without Jesus. I needed to know desperately that God loved me because there was a lot of things in my life that told me nobody loved me. I desperately needed to know. I didn't need to know that I was a sinner. I didn't need to know how much sinfulness I am and how separate I was from God. What I really desperately needed to know is that God loved me unconditionally, that he loved me so much that he went to the cross for me that he desperately wants to live life with me. I needed to know that. My wife Mary, she needed to know that, she, that, that, that she needed God's grace just as much as the outside world did. That she was as much of a sinner as all of them. And because of these things, there are people that Mary can speak to and relate to that I never could. And there are people that I can speak to that she would never be able to relate to. The church complements each other. There are people that actually God puts in her life that I'm the person equipped to talk to. And there are, there are people that God has put in my life that she is equipped to talk to. When we approach mission incarnationally and in community, we can continue to do it. Moses needed Aaron to come alongside him as we need the church to come alongside us. We go together into our communities and our neighborhoods, not with the thought of just simply inviting them to a church service, but going to be spiritual entrepreneurs, living out our calling by being incarnational. See, the missional church and community seeps into the cracks and the crevices of our neighborhoods and our cities in order to be Christ to those around them. I was listening to a podcast uh, recently. I was 
mentioning this in our, our prayer time this morning. Uh, it was uh, it's a podcast called Post Christianity, put out by the Gospel Coalition. And uh, this particular episode I was listening to, uh, Andrew Wilson, who's one of the hosts, had on this woman, Rebecca McLaughlin, who was a special guest. And she is the author of Confronting Christianity and the Secular Creed. And uh, turns out she lives in Cambridge and attends a church in Cambridge. And she said something in this episode that, that stood out to me about reaching out in our, our secular age. And she said, the hardest part to us in evangelism isn't about having the answers to the difficult questions, which many people think, but instead creating capacity in our lives to do it. She also commented that it's not as though the fish have swam away, but instead, maybe our boats, our boats are too full to bring the fish in. Here's what maybe some of the solution to that is. As we do mission and community and invite them into the parts of our lives that were, when we invite them into the parts of our lives, can we invite them into the parts of our lives that we're already doing? Um, Mary needed to go to Ikea. I'm bringing up my wife a lot. I don't normally do this, okay, but it uh, just so happened, right? Uh, Mary needed to go to Ikea which uh, over the summer, and um, somehow she always has to go to Ikea. I'm not always sure about that. Um, this is neither the time nor a place for that. But anyway, um, she, was, uh, she was heading there, and, um, you know, it's a decent trip from Eastie, where we live. And so I asked her, I was like, oh, you know, are you, are you just going by yourself? And she said, yeah. And I said, um, why don't you invite Caroline? Uh, Caroline was a, a woman uh, we met in our neighborhood who just moved to East Boston, uh, she's, a, she was a she's a nurse, uh, but she was still waiting on her uh, certification, her licensure to transfer, and so she had a ton of free time. And, and so Mary's like, okay, and invited her to join her on an Ikea trip. And she came home, and she was like, that was so good, and that was so easy. And, and, She's like, I got all this time with Caroline. We, we spent 35, 40 minutes on the drive there walking through the store because you have to walk through all of the store in Ikea. I don't like how they do that. It's the way to end relationships. Anyway, um, and she's like, we had all this time together. And she's like, this is, this is the craziest part is I got all this time and it didn't take up any of my time because I was already doing it. Find the people God has put into your life and do mission together. When we answer the call of mission, right, what does that look like? It means that God has given us community, that he has equipped us with gifts, but also the gifts of the church. And he gives us the ability to use the time that we already have and to ask people to join in with us. Uh, as we come to a close here, um, I wanted to come back to Moses and what his response was to God. God had called him um, to this mission. And he was going to equip him to do said mission. And Moses doubts himself and thinks that he's the wrong guy. He, he pleads with God. And what does God do? God relents and gives him Aaron. It struck me this week as I looked at that moment to think back to, to what I said before 
about how I usually am in those situations. When I know the person can do something, and they are asking me to change my request, but I know that they can do it, my usual response is no. If they couldn't, if they couldn't do it, I, I, of course I would, I would change. But if I know that they can do it, I usually put my foot down and, and tell them that they can. Because I want to see them build their character in that moment, right? That's, right, we, we don't raise quitters, do we? Differently than our perspective, though. See, God meets Moses in his doubt and in his weakness. You see, that's, that's the picture of the gospel. That when Moses doubted, when, when we doubt, when, when Moses allowed his sinfulness and his weakness to dominate the moment, when we in turn do the same, that's when God came down to us. God came down from heaven into this broken world and took off a king's crown and instead put on a crown of thorns. Because we were unable to save ourselves. That we needed someone to be sin for us. God doesn't tell us to meet me halfway. What God instead says, I will go the whole way for you. For you and for me, as he offers us new life in him. Church, that's the God that we worship. That's the God that we know. And we can celebrate that here this morning. Amen, church? Amen.